0: Good morning. It is a good morning, isn't it? Wonderful morning. I have a question for you as we begin this morning. And, uh, well, I guess it's a silly question, but the question is this Is it even fair to ask a man to come up and preach after a service like that? I don't know. I don't think so. That was wonderful. Wonderful. I really, really thoroughly enjoyed that. Music is a wonderful thing. We learn, if we learn a little bit about eternity, when we look in the book of Revelation, we find that there's going to be singing there. We're going to be singing. So I hope you enjoy it now. If you want to be with the Lord in eternity, there's going to be some singing there. And I really did enjoy that. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, has come to thee, O Israel. He has come. Isn't that a wonderful thing? There is no greater truth in all of Scripture... Than what we've considered today, and what we're going to consider for a few minutes. Great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifested in the flesh. The Word, God, became flesh and dwelt among us. What a wonder that the Eternal One would step into time, that the Infinite One would take on flesh. The sovereign over all of heaven, over all of earth, over all of creation, over the angelic realm. The sovereign would become a servant. What a wonder. There is no greater theme. We sing sometimes, sometimes, no subject so glorious as he. No theme so affecting to us. There is no subject, no theme that is as great as grand or as meaningful. This isn't just divine idea. Friends, This is divine intervention that God has stepped into time, that he has come. And we've heard about it already as a baby in Bethlehem. What a humble beginning. What a humble beginning. I invite you to turn turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 2. If you know the reference to this verse up here, you know that this verse is not from Luke chapter 2. It's actually from Galatians chapter 4. The majority of the thoughts that I'm going to share uh, this morning are out of Galatians chapter 4. But we're going to begin briefly in Luke chapter 2. What a good morning it is. A preacher once told a story uh, that I found, well, a bit startling but helpful indeed. And the story went like this. There was a wealthy couple and they had had a baby and they lived up in Boston And they invited their friends, neighbors, family into their home for a christening. Not something that we do or believe in, but this is what they did. They invited everyone in for a christening service. And so the friends came, the family family came, and about an hour or so into the party, to the mother's horror, she went to retrieve the baby and found that all of the guests had begun throwing their coats off to the side, and they landed on top of the baby. And the baby was smothered, and the baby died. It's an awful story. But it illustrates to us, to some extent, what the world would intend to do, what Satan would love to do with Christ. That here is a time, here is a season where Christ is to be the center. He indeed is the center. The scriptures tell us he's the center of time and eternity. When you look into Revelation chapter 5, you see there a majestic scene in heaven. And in the middle of it all, we couldn't go through all all the parts of the scene, but in the middle of it all stood a lamb. He's the center of time and eternity. But Satan, by his deception in the world, some of it perhaps unknowingly, some of it in true uh, evil and deception would love to smother and snuff out the Christ of Christmas. Now, having said that, I don't think we should get lost in trying to defend the Christ of Christmas just for the sake of the season. Sometimes we can get caught up in these battles that are, are, are maybe maybe distract us. We should be loving Him and living Him, not just to go around and argue about that He is the part of the season. Okay. But, but we know that he is the center of it, all, of it all. And we should be loving him and should be living him. And he is the center of it all. I tell you that there at that scene in, in Luke chapter 2, Luke 1 and 2, we find that he was not smothered in that sense. In fact, he was the center. Here were righteous people, godly people, young men... Older men, older women, and they all were surrounded around a baby, a baby. He was the center of it all in that day. He wasn't smothered. He wasn't covered. He wasn't put away. But he was indeed the reason at that time for all that went on. And it's a wonderful thing. Boys and girls, well, I'm glad we're all here together today. This is nice to have everyone in one building together. Usually we have Sunday school in the back. Can you guys imagine a woman of over a hundred years old serving God day and night in the temple? We're introduced in Luke chapter 2 to a woman. She maybe was 105, 110. She could have even been older. I don't know. An old woman, no doubt over a hundred years old. And she served God night and day. Her life was committed to the Lord. She had the things that she did. And day in and day out, the Bible says she went on and on in Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. What could possibly change the mind, or what could possibly change the actions of this elderly woman? Have you ever tried to change an elderly person's mind? It's a little difficult at times. Well, we, get, we all get set in our ways, don't we? She had her things that she did. But I'm going to tell you something. This day, something, in an instant, the Bible says, changed what she did. Changed what she did. And she's just one example. It says in Luke 2 and verse 38, and coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Him to all those who looked for redemption In Jerusalem. He was the one that she was waiting for. And she went out, the Bible says, and she spoke of him to all of those who looked for redemption. Are you speaking about him today? Brothers, sisters, visitors, I just want to remind you of this. This is a wonderful time of year. We were already reminded to engage people about the Christ. About the Christ. There is nothing greater than being able to point someone to him. The season, because of the friendliness of it, uh, the the fact that folks are off of work, they're around, it's a wonderful opportunity. Speak of Him. Speak of Him. Point people to Him. The world is lost, you know. There are so many out there that are hopeless, that are helpless. I just spoke to a woman, and I thought of her as I thought of, of Anna. I've spoken to her a few times. She's a Jewish woman. And she's utterly hopeless. Utterly hopeless. She will not see Jesus as the Christ, her Messiah. And she's hopeless. When I talk to her about death, she's an elderly woman. Her spouse is elderly. She has no hope. No hope for what's to come. No hope for heaven. She has no real purpose for living. She's given her life to all kind of things that are just a waste of time just to keep her mind going. No subject so glorious he, no theme so affecting to us. Speak of him this this season. Speak of him. You'll get many opportunities. Here was a woman. She wasn't the only one, Anna, but there was also another man that day. You know the story, right? Joseph and Mary had brought Jesus into the temple to be presented to the Lord. And there was another man there. We heard of him last week. His name was Simeon. Simeon. Imagine being Simeon. The Bible tells us that he was just and devout and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting. He was looking. He was anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And here enter a young man and a young woman holding a a, a newborn baby, maybe a few days old, And Simeon, it says in verse 28 of Luke 2, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. We heard this morning as we gathered together around the Lord's table about light and darkness and about nearness and farness, that there is this this aspect in the Old Testament where God was distant because of of the system that was there because the Messiah hadn't come. But here, imagine being Simeon. He's been waiting. He's been looking for the Messiah, for the king. And in walk Joseph and Mary, and, and he takes him up in his arms. Imagine that. How much closer could you be holding him up Oh, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. What must it have been? But you want to know something? In the New Testament, in 1 John, we read from another author a similar thought. And it is this in 1 John. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. This is First John 1 and verse 1. And our hands have handled concerning the word of life. John is saying we saw him. We touched him. We were with him. We walked with him. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness, and we declare to you that eternal life. Oh, Simeon, what must it have been to hold the baby in his arms? This is the Son of God. What a wonder. But John is telling us this. This one, the word of life, we have seen and we have touched him. We have walked with him and we're declaring him to you. We want you to have a personal relationship with him. We want you to experience what it is to know God. To know God. And he has made himself known to us. Is that not a wonder? That God, the creator, has stepped into time in the person of Jesus Christ. And he wants us to know him. He wants us to enjoy a relationship with Him. Very quickly, and there's so much more that could be said from the Gospel of Luke. There's lots of other characters, and it's a wonderful thing, but very quickly, I want to close from Galatians in chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Now, if you know your Bibles well, you know that Galatians is not known for being a, a nativity scene type of Scripture. It is an epistle that's written after the Gospels, but the Apostle Paul gives just a couple of short verses that are so immense and power-packed, and they are this. Galatians 4 and verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, we just considered in our introduction what happened when he came. We couldn't consider all of it. No, we have no time for that. But we considered these two individuals and the way that it changed their life. And no doubt for Mary and Joseph and Zacharias and Elizabeth, this was earth-shattering. This changed everything they did, everything they looked for. So that's the what of his coming. What happened when he came? Well, you can read Luke 2 and see it. But when did he come? When did he come? Well, we're not talking literally in this moment about what year did he come. But we're saying when in history did he come? The Bible says when the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son. It was just the right time. It, well, I don't have the mind of the father. I don't have the mind of God. But we know from the scripture that it was just the right time when he came. We know that prophetically the prophecies had added up. When you look back at Daniel and you see his prophecy of the years, we could look back and see these the way these prophecies were lining up. It was just the right time prophetically. Practically, we saw that there were people that were anxiously waiting for the Messiah. They were looking for him. They were were, were longing for him. Practically, it was the right time. Prophetically, it was the right time. And I want to tell you this, in a pragmatic way, it was the time. What I want to take from this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, is this thought, okay? I don't have the mind of God. I don't know every reason why He chose that time. But this I know. The time came. Jesus was a real person. At a real place. At a real time. Dealing with real people. So next time someone says to you, and I've had it said to me more than a few times, I don't, that fairy tale stuff, I, I can't handle it. It's not for me. I can't handle this, this wishful thinking. I, no, 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 no. This is what the Bible says. It is historically recorded. Any historian who is, who is worth his weight at all would acknowledge that this man came. It was a real event at a real time in a real place with real people. And it was for a real purpose we're going to find. So when did He come? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. How did He come? He was born of a woman. We already heard that. That God became flesh. The divine stepped into humanity. The sovereign became a servant. What a wonder. How did He come? how did He come? He was born of a woman. Where did He come? Galatians 4 and verse 4 says He was born under the law. He came in Israel. We know that. And I want to close with this. Why did He come? Why did he come? And I just want to close thinking of this for a moment. He came. He's offered an answer here because he died on the cross. That is absolutely true. There are lots of reasons, I think, that you could look and say, this is why he came. He came to reveal the Father. He came to defeat Satan. He came to do many things. But what this verse says is this. Galatians 4 and verse 5 why did he come to redeem those who were under the law to redeem those who were under the law friends the bible makes it very clear that because of our sin there is slavery slavery under the law we have no ability to find righteousness before god to come into a relationship with him apart from christ Why did He come? He came to redeem you, to redeem me, that whosoever will may come. He's come to redeem us out from... He's going to pull you, if you'll allow Him to, pull you out from underneath the law, out from underneath your sin, out from underneath your slavery. But that's not all. It says this in Galatians 4 and verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of... As sons, He not only has come to take you out in that sense, to redeem you, to pull you out from underneath the law and sin in its sentence, but he's come to place you into something that is into the family of God. There is no greater story. Friends, this is not religion. This is not religion. This is not Christian religion. This is Christ. This is life. What is there apart from him? Whether it's atheism or Buddhism or or, uh, Confucianism or whatever it is, Hinduism. Where is the hope? Where is there ever a story of God visiting man? And we have it all recorded for us in the scriptures and in other sources. I challenge you to look at it. And he's come to redeem you, to take you out from the law and out from sin and judgment and death. But not just that to place you into his family as a son of God, that you would have an inheritance with Christ in heaven for eternity. There is no story that compares with this. And it's not just a story. It really happened in history. What a wonder. Let's give thanks. Our Father, we do thank you for the joy that it is to be here today. We see around us a rush, the rush of the season. Hustle and bustle and everything going on. We've heard of it all around us. But we recognize today, I recognize before you, that Christ Jesus is the meaning and center of it all. But not just of the season, our Father. We recognize that he should be our life day in and day out. What do I have apart from thee, Lord Jesus? What a blessing it is to know you. I pray, O God, that everyone here today would consider seriously the claims of the Christ, of Messiah, of Jesus, when he said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. We give you thanks for the blessing that it is to know him, to walk with him. We commit ourselves to you today, give you thanks in Jesus' name.